the Generation Church Podcast. We hope you find this encouraging. Come visit us in South Oceanside. Find more about Do you have it in your, are you going to use your phone? Go for it. And it's 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 9, starting at verse 19. Even though I am a free man with no master... I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I am not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from the law, so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God, I obey the law of Christ. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weaknesses, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessing. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Thanks, Sarah. I was challenged a couple weeks ago by a dear friend, and he'll remain unnamed, although I'd love to publicly embarrass him. But he was saying, hey, you know, we're kind of between series. We're about to jump into, um, uh, uh, we're gonna pressing pause on Luke just for about a month to look at some things. And um, and so this is a Sunday sort of in the middle of those. And he said, you know, why don't you just share from your heart? What's, what are you excited about right now? What are you grieving all that? So this is it. Um, you know, I went and saw my therapist. Yes, I see a therapist because I have problems just like you. He's a great Christian man, loves Jesus, super helpful. His name's Lance. I'm going to have him come here. Um, Jared, that was a blessing. He left me on the way out. He's like, you should meet my buddy Lance, man. If you ever need to talk to somebody, go, and he's great. But what I was talking to him about was, was my anger. Uh, I, I was telling Lance, I said, man, I got to talk to you. Uh, everybody gets angry. I get angry. Yet the, I've been, just want to confess, like the anger toward, I've had towards my kids and the frustration I've had, I just need to grow here. This, I just feel like it's, it's not acceptable. And... Um, and yeah, help me with this. And so I described a situation for him, and, I, I, and I'm trying to think, okay, when was the last time I got super ticked at my kids? Uh, it didn't have to go very far back in my memory. If you know, uh, my kids are six and four. It was just a few days prior. And, um, and I told him the situation. He goes, okay, if you could go to that moment, uh, what were you feeling? And I said, man, I was just feeling so overwhelmed. He says, okay. If, and when you're feeling overwhelmed, what's the truth you need to know right in that moment? I thought about it, and he said, you know, what's, what's the truth? If you could hear it, what would you need to know? In other words, like, why are you here? In that moment, why are you alive in that moment when you're frustrated? And I said, yeah, like, what is my calling? Like, what's my purpose in life? When, my, when I'm at home, am I there for my own comfort? 
and for my own advancement and enjoyment of life? If so, then I have every right to be irritated. I mean, if life's about me, they're a total interruption to me living at peace on a Saturday and just chilling. But that's not why I'm home. You know, what's the truth? The truth is I'm, I'm at home because God's given me these kids to steward and to love and to point them towards God and to be a father and a reflection of what he's like to them. Whoa, I'm out of reality. It's one of the things you learn in counseling is you oftentimes your emotions draw you out of reality. Why am I home? See, if my life's about Jesus in that moment, then I'm there for them. I'm actually there to serve them. They're not there to serve me, but that's, that's what I fall into. And then because they've interrupted that, I'm angry. I'm irritated. Guys, stop fighting. Dog, get back to the kid. You know, like everybody go to your place, thunder and lightning. But being reminded, here's I think what I want to share. Being reminded of our, our purpose, being reminded of our mission, our calling in life actually centers us into reality. Uh, one of my concerns that I wanted to share with us is that I think often we, including me as I just confess, we don't live mission-minded. We live self-minded. We, and we've bought into our culture's narrative. You know, it's interesting when a lot of times when missionaries go somewhere, they uh, find that where there was once a Christian influence, they have adopted the, the religions of the area. They call it synchronism. And so they synchronize these beliefs. And it's really frustrating because they don't know their Bibles or they don't live out of it. And so they sort of adapt, you know, I'm going to see the witch doctor and I'm also going to read a little bit of Bible. And it's like, oh, wow, it's like a weird new religion they've created. And guess what? We have done the exact same thing. It's not some otherwhere problem. It's an it's a issue of the heart of every human being, which is to take whatever we want to do, whatever culture is doing, and then just sort of like blend it into what we know God actually wants of us. We've, we've bought into our Western narrative that like life is about self-actualization. You're here to become the best version of yourself, and everyone is there. People, places, and things are there to help you live your best life. And although that's not all entirely wrong, there's, of course, joy to be found I think we, we find ourselves angry and frustrated because if life's all about me and to self-actualize, then, man, there's a lot of people in my way. There's a lot of irritants I need to remove. And so what happens is we get frustrated. We go, i got to shut that thing off. I've got to remove it out of my life instead of, well, maybe God has it in my life because I need to change. I actually need to be more forgiving and tolerant and loving. What's interesting is that our, our, narr- our cultural narrative is the opposite of what Jesus tells us. Jesus, as we saw in Luke just a few chapters back in 12, 31 says, seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. Or another translation says, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. It doesn't say seek your kingdom. He says, seek the kingdom of God first, and all the things you're worried about will take care of themselves. He, he doesn't say get rich or die trying. He doesn't say, do you get yours? He says, the least become the greatest. He says in Luke 9, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. So I'm concerned. I'm concerned about myself, my own heart to buy into these things. I'm concerned about us because I know we do these same things. Uh, It doesn't surprise me when the world lives the way it does. I'm not surprised. I mean, why, why wouldn't they? Uh, but I am concerned when Christians make up their own version. Uh, when we say, you know, Jesus, I totally will seek you eventually. 
I'm, it's not that I'm not seeking you. But see that, there's one word in there that's really irritating about Jesus. It's that whole first business. If only he would have just said, hey, seek me and everything will handle itself. Well, I can kind of reshuffle. But he says, seek first the kingdom of God. Oh, and that's, that's irritating because I really enjoy living for me in my own comfort. You know, I'm going to seek you eventually, Jesus, but I've got a whole bunch of things I need to take care of first. And there actually, I read a guy that called this, uh, he actually had a name for it. He called it leftover discipleship. He says, uh, you know, I'm going to do, do me. I'm going to get my job and I'm going to spend my time and do my recreational things. And, uh, and then, you know, I, I should have a few hours left over. And then, you know, maybe I'll, give, I'll, maybe I'll serve the poor. Or maybe my church needs some help with something. Um, you know, after I spent my money on me, I'm sure I could, I could give a little tip as the, and the bucket goes by or whatever else. But that, what it is, it's leftover discipleship. It's everything we have left over after we've lived life for ourselves. And sometimes we say, you know, well, I mean, I'm not killing anybody. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not beating my kids. You know, I'm just, I'm just, just a little irritated. I mean, we, the self-justification sets in. I'm not, I'm not doing any of the big sins. And I just, sometimes I wonder, and again, I'm, I'm saying this as much to myself as I'm saying to you. Let me get this straight. Jesus, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Alpha and Omega, humbled himself, born into human flesh, lived amongst us, was spit on, tortured, kicked, beaten, bloodied, hung on a cross, died out. On the third day, rose again from death, came and tore the veil in heaven. So I'm going to send my Holy Spirit, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, now lives within you. And all of that, so you, can, so you can pretty much live how everybody else lives. Except you don't, you don't get drunk anymore and you don't cuss. But that's why I can't. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. Yeah, the, whole, the same God. And, uh, and you can attend this thing. You know, once a week, you can go to this thing. You can sit and listen. It's going to, man, it's a, oh, I came to redeem everything. Isn't it kind of crazy to think we actually believe that the living God lives in us? And yet, all that, and essentially our lives look very, very similar. So similar that the world says, why would I ever go to your events? You guys look exactly like my life is. Trust me, I'm saying this as much to me as I am to you. If it feels a sting, I, I look and sometimes people go, Tim, you know, if you could doubt your faith, what would it be? I'd say, me. If I ever was concerned about like if God was real, it would be because I look in the mirror and I go, Man, I, I'm still blowing it. Yet, that's actually the good news for all of us. That's the good news. Because I am still blowing it. And this story is not about me. And this story is not about you. This story is about God and his grace. And that's actually the good news is that I don't have to prove it. I don't have to shape it. I don't have to pull myself up by the bootstraps. I know a God that's still patient and tolerant with a knucklehead like me. Can I introduce you to him? Because most of us feel the burden of that shame and our world feels a burden of that shame. And we say, man, I, I got to do something different. And then we fail again and we don't know where to go. And we have a God that says, I'm actually using that failure to shape you. Come on, come join me. I think one of the main issues is that we have a sort of a, a gospel amnesia. 
we, I think we have an identity amnesia. I think we actually forget who we are a lot of times. I don't think the problem in my heart or yours is that we're not trying hard enough. I do sometimes think there's an effort issue, but I think we've been fooled. I think we've been deceived. I think our, our world is, is humming along this melody, live for yourself, do your thing, and it's bombarding us constantly. I think our world's doing it, our own hearts want it, and then, of course, we have the help of the enemy coming along as well. I was hanging out with uh, David Verdugo this week, and uh, I'll give some credit to him. And, uh, and he, we were talking about some of these things in our culture, and David goes, you know, man, it's kind of like, like there are these dark spiritual nurses cruising around, and we're actually in the midst of a battle, and we've got an arm blown off, and we're bleeding out because life's hard, and there's brokenness. And this dark spiritual nurse comes over and kind of whispers to us and is like, hey, I have this Band-Aid for you. Here, let me give you this Band-Aid. And we just kind of put it on. We're like, oh, yeah. And then the spiritual nurse just whispers to you, hey, that's all you need. You're going to be okay. Here, just put this on. And we're like, oh, yeah, that feels better. Just, just lay down. Just lay down. And it's like, but you, but you put a Band-Aid on an arm that's been blown off. That's actually not treatment, just in case you didn't know. I, I'm not a doctor by no one in my family. That wouldn't be sufficient treatment. That's actually, that's actually deception. That'd be unloving to say, here's what you need, and it's totally inadequate to do the job and stop the bleeding. You're dying. You're bleeding out, and yet our culture's like, just cope. Here, man, just binge watch this. You'll feel better. Here, take this. That's all right. Have another one. Just do your thing. And we're actually bleeding out. I think God's, God wants to say, hey, look, I, I have a whole other reason. There actually is a battle going on. Like, it's not enough for the Band-Aid. I, I want you to come to me so I can treat you. You actually need to come to the hospital, me, the great physician, so I can get after you. And we're like, ah, oh, no, I'm good. I'm just going to do a couple other things. I'll make it. And we just limp along. We're bleeding out. I think we've, we've been seduced into this deception. And if we look at the text that Sarah wrote a moment ago, read a moment ago in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says something. He says that he, he kind of had adapted his life to the Jews and he adapted if he was with Gentiles. And he says this in verse 22. He says, I, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. It's verse 33. He says why he's doing this. He says, I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessing. What Paul's saying is, he's saying, I'm doing everything I'm doing. I'm doing all this. I live my life so people can hear the gospel. That's his reason for waking up. He says, I, I don't do this so they'll think well of me. or think, man, Paul is such a cool guy. What a great neighbor. You're so tolerant. No, he says, I do this so they might hear the gospel, so they might know God. That's part of the deception is that I think we've begun to believe that's not who we are. That's not part of what we're, we're up to each day. I have a reflection for you. It's a very short question. Why are you alive? Like, why are you here? Why does God still have you alive on this planet? The Bible actually doesn't keep that answer a mystery. We make it a lot more challenging than it is. Life, as I mentioned before, isn't about us. It's about him. That's why we're alive, to know him and make him known. I mean, the mission of our church to lead people into healthy relationships with Jesus and each other, 
I don't think that's just for our church, South Ocean. I think that's a mission statement for all of us in life, period. Think of your marriage. Let's apply this for a second. Is your marriage about God or is it about you? If it's for you, I'm really sad for you and your spouse. Because I believe so much of our conflict comes because we forget why we're in our marriages to begin with. If our marriages are about us, then the things our wife or her husband is failing at is just one more reason to get on them, criticize them, and tell them that they stink and they're blowing it. Because why? They're not making me happy, and they're not doing the things they should be doing to add to my life because this marriage is about me. If our marriage is about God, then Scripture tells us that we are actually to die to ourselves for the benefit of our spouse. That means that even in the midst of their trials, even in the midst of their frustration, their sin, God's actually using it to us to grow patient and graceful towards those that are sinners. So we might bring them closer to him. That's why we're in our marriages as far as scripture is concerned. If you're not a believer, this doesn't apply to you. Although I'd say there's great wisdom in it. Why are you married? Men, love your wives as Christ has loved the church. That's really hard if you haven't noticed. Women, to do the same. Why? Because he gave up his life for us. See, it's about the gospel. It was never about us, but we're so easily duped into that. Am I right? Man, the frustration, we, the, the vindictiveness we have in our own homes, we forget why we're even there. Our kids, as I was reminded recently, parents, why are we at home? Is it to make our kids polite and courteous? Sadly, I think that's the Christian narrative. Make your kids good at stuff. Make them polite. Make them successful. Give them the opportunities you never had. That's not why we have our kids. God gave us kids on loan for, to steward. Why, why am I home? Why are you home with your kids? Then help them to know Jesus and make him known. It's about his mission. That's why we have them. It's amazing how far off we get, though. We think our mission is so many other things, but that is the primary mission. Even their, even their things that frustrate you, even their disobedience to you is an opportunity for you to learn how to be loving towards those who are disobedient. Why? Because you were disobedient to God, and he was a father that loved you despite it. See, it's about the gospel. Why are you single? Are you single just to do your thing and live and party and hang out? Just to do you? No, you're single for God's mission. God, for whatever reason, has allowed you to be single for this season so that you might be available for the things he's called you to. Because that will change when you get married. It's actually a blessing. It may not seem like a blessing to you, but there's something for him in your singleness still. It's not a waste of time. He's not smiting you. But if you think you're single because it's a curse or you think it's single because your singleness is about you so you can do all things you want to do recreationally, you've been deceived. And actually, you're going to find the life that you're longing for in his mission. So why are you here? What's your mission? I mean, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. That stuff will take care of itself. You know, and I realized, guys, I realized this week why Jesus told us, seek first the kingdom. I rechecked. Because he doesn't want you to have any fun in this life. That's it. 
That's it. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom because he hates seeing people enjoy life. It just bothers him. He wants you to be religious, okay? He wants you to show up on time, no talking during worship. That's what he wants, all right? And read your Bible every day. That's what he wants. You don't have to enjoy it. Just do it. That's why Jesus came. That's why he left the throne room of God of all eternity, born you knew of the spirit so you could do religious stuff, okay? So go and try to enjoy it. But if you don't, tough. But here's the sad thing. Our lives often reflect that that's actually what we believe about God. God says, no, no, don't give in to that. And we go, why wouldn't I give in to that? It's going to be awesome. Because we believe the same thing Adam and Eve believed in the garden, which is God's holding out on you. See that fruit over there? You could have it. Just grab it. It's going to be epic. God just doesn't want you to have it because he wants to steal all your fun. And we go, yeah, it's right. You know what? I'm going to do my thing. I'll just get around to it. I'll go to the church thing. Brothers and sisters, we got to confess this. Lord, the reason we don't live mission-minded is because we genuinely believe God, if we did, our lives would suck. We just need to own up to it. I'm going to confess it right now for us. Let's pray with me. Lord Jesus, we often don't obey you. When we sense you tugging at us, we don't do it because we've bought into the lie. If we do, we will somehow lose out. Like you're some, the God of buzzkill up there. And Jesus, you are not. I just repent of believing that lie. And I go, Jesus, I know you have more for me than I could ever imagine. Help me to believe that that's true. Help my brothers and sisters here to believe that that's true in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus actually goes out of his way to promise us in John 10, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. We've talked about him, that whispering dark nurse. But I have come to give life and life abundantly. That's why I've come. In John 15, he says, I've come so that your, yes, your joy will be full. It's in me that your joy would be complete. That's what he wants for us. That's what he wants for us. Being mission-minded is actually the gateway to joy. Not living for me is actually the gateway to joy. And this is what excites me. I know that first part was kind of a bummer. But what really excites me, what really excites me is when people wake up to that. And they're like, bring it on, God. I, I, actually, I am, I am selfish about your glory and my good because I don't want to miss a single thing that you have for me in this life. So even when it doesn't make any sense, even when I know it could be painful, I want to do it because I don't want to miss out on this life. When you're mission-minded, you get awakened to the things that God actually has for you in the midst of life. It gives you alignment with the Spirit. It gives you attunement to His voice. It gives you courage to face the darkness that you're no doubt going to face. I mean, Paul goes out of his way in Ephesians 10 to say that you are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus anew so that you might do the good things He planned for you long ago. The good things he planned for you long ago. That was an individual and corporate proclamation to you. God created you as a masterpiece so that you can do, emphasis, doing good things he planned for you. That's a promise. You're a masterpiece. You're not a wreck. No matter what's happened today or the day before, God actually has something for you. Brothers and sisters, this is good news for tomorrow, for today. That's a promise of God. There's actually good things for you today to do that God set apart for you. It's not even accidental. Church, this is awesome for us because this can actually be the way we live life. 
we need to pray, Father, help us to be about your business, not ours. Father, heal our marriages. Heal, heal the way we treat our kids. Heal our singleness. Heal the racial tension in our world. Lord, these things have come because we live for ourselves and we're dying because of it. Lord, free us. Give us the courage, the faith, the hope. Holy Spirit, impart to us faith that we might walk with you faithfully and actually live in the mission you've set apart for us. Amen. That's why we're alive. The second thing I want to share is just a concern as we live on that mission is we're, we are not finding common ground as a nation and as a church. And I don't know about where you're at individually, but I know collectively, if you look around the nation, Christians are not doing a good job finding common ground. Why do I say common ground? Verse 22. Yes, Paul says, I try to find common ground with everyone doing everything I can to save some. Some of you are more familiar with the translation that says, I think ESV, I become all things to all people so that some might come to know the gospel. That's the same thing. I'm becoming all things. I'm trying not to put a roadblock into somebody coming to me, Jesus. I was at Torrey Pines a couple years ago at the high school, and I was uh, at the FCA club, and this girl came in. I'd never seen her before, and I said hi. And she just moved into the area, and um, I said, hey, you want a piece of pizza? And I offered her a piece of pizza, and she lived in Thailand, and her mom did some work for the UN or something, and she was back in San Diego. And after we hung out and talked, oh, no way, I've been to Thailand. We had this really cool conversation, really sweet girl. And then um, she says, oh, wait a minute, what is this club? Because it's a lunch club. I said, it's the FCA club. It stands for Fellowship of Christian Athletes. She's like, oh, okay. And, you know, immediately that look on her face, like, uh-oh. And I said, well, you know, it's somebody usually shares a story about their faith or their spiritual journey, and you're, you're welcome to stay. And she's like, oh, okay, okay. And I turned because some other kid came to say hi to me. I looked up. She picked up her bag, turned, and walked out. Just ran out the door. And I, at the, right in that moment, I went, this is, exactly, this is exactly a microcosm of what's going on in our world. Someone, and we as Christians or religious folk are just as bad as the world does. Someone says something, we're going, uh-oh, it's one of them. And what do we do? Just grab our stuff, turn and walk. Not even open to hearing what might be going on. That is exactly what's happening culturally. And in fact, you're applauded for doing so. You can't listen to them. They might share those ideas. Ugh. Pick a side. Media, politicians, everybody's trying to get you to pick a side. Are you with us? Or are you with them? And guess what, church? We do not have that option. There is no us and them. Why? Because God came for, he was the us, we were the them, and he came to us while we were still sinners, while we were his enemies, Christ died for us to reconcile us back to him so that we might be agents of reconciliation to the world. If you align yourself with the gospel, you cannot be us in that mentality. You are for all people. That's what Paul's saying. I actually came to find common ground. Why? Why is he doing it? Because it's not about him. It's about them hearing the gospel. That's why he's doing that. The church is being used right now. The church is being used by politicians and talking heads, both on the left and on the right. They're using you to get you to pick a side. Why? Because they want you to be about their kingdom and not about Jesus' kingdom. They need your alliance. But we're the party of the lamb, not the donkey or the elephant. It's different. 
And at times, yes, there's alignment. I think on both sides, there's times of alignment. But look at what Paul says to the Philippians. He says, I've told you often, I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are those whose conduct shows they're really enemies of the cross. They are headed for destruction and their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things. And hear this, they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly awaiting for him to return as our savior. His, his call back to them is an identity statement. We are citizens of heaven, not Philippi where they lived. You're not Roman citizens. You're not Greek citizens. You're not Jewish citizens. You're citizens of heaven. God's kingdom, not Philippi, not America, not wherever else. That's what unites us globally, brothers and sisters. We're concerned about people's spiritual life. Their, their life with God. Look at what Paul says. I'm going back to the same verses in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, my common ground is to bring people to Christ. Look at this, verse 20. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring them to Christ. I did this to bring to Christ those under the law. Verse 21, when I'm with the Gentiles I'm, who don't follow the Jewish law, I lived apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. You see the theme? Why is he doing all this? How does he do that? Well, he, first of all, he doesn't expect not Christians to act like, uh, I'm sorry, he doesn't expect non-Christians to act like Christians. Oftentimes we're mad. We're angry at people that don't live under the law of love, the law of Christ that aren't Christians. Why would they? They don't know him. They don't have the Holy Spirit. Why are we shocked by that? But oftentimes we're mad. But Paul's not surprised at all. He's not a Paul. He's not, oh my gosh, see how these people live? Oh my, they actually believe that? No, he's saying, I want to hear. I got to find some common ground so I can build a pathway to the gospel. He's mission-minded. He's not appalled. He's engaged. But he's also not saying sin's not sin. Hear that, please. Verse 21, he says, but I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. That means he's not saying sin doesn't exist. Some people go that route. Now he says, no, wrong is wrong and right is right. And I'm still going to live under the law of Christ, my conscience and the law of love. I'm not going to violate those things. We know that from the rest of 1 Corinthians in his letter. But he's saying their sin is not going to stop me from pursuing them. Remember, he's not just hanging out. He's not just making them like him. He's saying, no, I'm actually trying to find a way so they might know God. I want them to know him. My heart breaks. He continues in verse 22. He says, when I'm with those who are weak, I share in their weakness for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everything, doing what I can so that some might be saved. And if you haven't noticed, common ground isn't so common anymore in the United States. That's why he has to seek and find it because it ain't just going to fall in your lap. I'm really concerned. Um, a pastor I really love, um, African-American brother in, in North Carolina, Derwin Gray, he, he, he quoted a Barna study, a research that was done in the United States, and said, evangelicals, here's the research they found, evangelical Christians that were surveyed say that 91% of their friends share their same beliefs spiritually. 91%. They have, out of 10 friends, they have one that isn't a believer. That 88% are in their same ethnicity. Golly. And 86% share in their same political. We are not doing a good job of this. 
finding common ground. We're actually going the other way. We're only trying to find those who look like us, think like us, vote like us. This week in uh, the newsletter, I put an article and it was the, it was a question that said, is, is Christianity a white man's religion? Is that true? Because you hear that floating around, right? The reason I put that in there, why? We need to know how to build common ground. People believe that's true, which it's not. It's not even close. I mean, the African church has huge influence throughout the Bible and history. So that's just, but people actually believe that that's a true statement. We have to understand why would they think that? There's actually good reasons they would think that. Why? Because in the South, slave owners used Christianity to hold slaves down. And they gave them edited versions of the Bible that would keep them from ever understanding that they're actually free in Christ. Terrible, horrific tragedy. But we have to understand what's been happening so that why people would come to know Jesus. Look, if life's about you, don't read that article. Keep your Christian friends. Don't interact with people that are on the other side of the political aisle. If life's about you, don't do those things. If life, if your life is about God's mission and his kingdom, you got to read that stuff. You have to understand what people are thinking about in this world. So we might be able to build a bridge and not just say, I can't believe they believe that. Ugh, I'm disgusted. And there's the difference. There's the difference. When you think of them, you know them, right? The them that they're on the news, right? You know what I mean? They've got that other channel that's just full of, oh my gosh, them, right? When you think of them, are you mad or does your heart break? That is the difference. If your heart breaks, Welcome, you've included in Jesus' heart, who weeps over Jerusalem, who sees people hanging him, abusing him, and cries out, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. If you're pissed off all the time, welcome to the other side, the way of the dragon, not the way of the lamb. The question is, are we mad or is our heart break? Our hearts should break that people are doing things that are so opposed to the gospel and the Lord that we know that's gracious and loving. Our hearts should break because what they're saying in their lives show how distant they are from knowing a loving God. That's what I see. Not always. I get mad too. Confession. But then I know if I'm angry, it's not the heart of God. My heart should be broken. I'm not saying God isn't angry at sin. But look, we give ourselves way too much permission to feel things and do things that Jesus did without the maturity that Jesus had. Our hearts have to break, brothers and sisters. I want my heart to break. To find common ground, they might know Jesus. It's the fix. Only difference between me and them, hopefully, they do not know how loved they are by a gracious God. If you have no heartbreak in your response, you have no Jesus in your solution. If you have no heartbreak in your response, You have no Jesus in your solution. Love and heartbreak builds a heart that's towards common ground. Again, why would we do this? So that we could chalk one up to God. All right, God, I did it. I have a friend. They're liberals. You know, I got one. I got a friend. Check. They're a Christian nationalist or whatever. I don't even call them Christian nationalists. I call them national Christianists. This is very little to do with Jesus and a lot to do about nation. They slap bumper sticker verses on it. But anyways, that's just my beef. But love is the law of Christ. Love's the common ground we need. And we actually, this is what excites me, is we can actually do this.
We can do this. God promises us he'll give us his heart towards people. Again, it doesn't mean that we agree with them. It doesn't mean you agree with people. It means you love enough to listen. You love enough to try to find how they arrive there and to try to build a bridge, not to you and your view, but to Jesus, and then let him take care of the rest. We don't say people, he does. We don't change people, he does. Isn't that beautiful? The pressure's not on you. You love, he changes. Easy. Deal. Uncomfortable, but it's his work. But to listen takes love. I just want to confess with you guys. Let's pray together. Father, we would rather stay comfortable often. We'd rather stay comfortable than follow you. And specifically with people that aren't like us, people that are like them. And Lord, our, our hearts often don't break. We're often more angry. We're often prone to make that arrogant or condescending comment or social media posts. Lord, help us to not do that, but we might build common ground to listen to love well. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to give you one practical thing. Because it's kind of been a ramble, I know. But that was the uh, danger in letting me stuck from the heart. <clears throat> well, some of you know Francis Schaeffer. Uh, theologian. Uh, he's, he passed away, I think, in the 60s, I believe. Um, but he said something. He's known for his evangelistic lens. He said something. If I had an hour with someone... Here's what I do. I would spend 55 minutes listening. And then in that last five minutes, if I had anything of value to share, I'd share it. That is a practical skill that all of us can learn. Today, we don't need more tellers. We need more askers. Okay, things have changed. People are not interested in what you want to say to them. They're interested in having it drawn out of them. Unlike traditional apologetic methods, which were usually, hey, let me sit you down, let me tell you some things. Now, the, the way that communication is shifting in our country, it requires, that instead of answering people's questions, we question their answers. Does that make sense? Instead of answering their questions, we have to question their answers. Let curiosity lead. We have to be genuine, loving listeners and say, how did you arrive at that conclusion? Tell me more about that. Help me to understand that a little bit more. How does that play out in your daily life? What do you do when things are really down? What do you tell yourself? Have you ever doubted your belief? Those are all genuine. If you love someone, those are all genuine questions. They're not interrogations. There's a huge difference. But if you genuinely love somebody, how did you come to that belief? Let curiosity lead. You don't have to agree with what they say. We're so bad at this, though. We feel like if we listened, we just affirmed everything and said, no, just love it. I just want to hear you. You That's what they pay therapists to do, by the way. (laughs) Right? And people walk out like, oh, I feel so much better. What do you do? I don't just ask me all these questions. (laughs) And I asked him for advice. He says, what do you think advice you need? (laughs) It was amazing. We can do that, church. But we, just, uh, we, we bought into this lie a long time ago, and I think it came from apologetic movements that we just have to, oh, stop, stop, stop. Hey, before you go on, let me just clarify that. That's not true. Here's why. And, then, you know, and, just, uh, and it's going to take some practice, but you can get there. Why? Because you have the Holy Spirit. He can do all things through us. I'm going to wrap this up because I've already gone long. 
I know you fail. I know I fail. Even in the things I just talked about. Again, I'm preaching to myself, and I usually am most Sundays, just as much as I'm trying to preach to you. Because I need the good news as much as anyone. And the good news is, when I fail, and I fail a lot, my hope isn't in my ability to get things done right, my ability to live perfect, my ability to lean on me. No, my hope is that my hope is found in nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Not my righteousness. The goal for you today, even if you blow it at finding common ground, is it a God that actually owed you no common ground, that owed you a steep vertical hill for you to climb up the rest of your life to be holy enough, flatten the hill so you could stand at the foot of the cross with everyone else parallel and say, we are here with our eyes lifted up to a God that actually didn't make me climb up the ladder, but actually climbed down himself, picked me up wounded and battered, and brought me home. That is the good news. And I think what grieves me and also excites me is that, A, we don't understand that, and thus we don't live in accordance with that. But the hope and the good news and what excites me is we can grow in the gospel, and the fruit will be what he longs for us to have. So I'm just going to pray and ask God to do that for us. If, if you want prayer, because you know you need that too, just say, Jesus, I just want to receive from you right now. And let's pray. I just want to pray a blessing over us. Lord Jesus, we come to you because we want to be like you. We need your heart and less of our heart. Holy Spirit, give us what we don't have. Help us to be sensitive to your voice. Where confession is needed, help us to be quick to confess. Help us to be quick to ask you for help. Help us to be quick not to depend on our own strength, but in yours, in every area of our life. Fill us up so we can be poured out. Lord, we need you, God. We don't need new practicals for living. We need the living God, Jesus, to change us, to shape us, to use us, Lord. Set us on your mission. Help us to not live life for ourselves, but to live in the adventure of walking with you.